I think that we're live. Let's see. We'll find out at the end of service anyways. So we are continuing our, oh, it's about a seven-part series on church leadership. And tonight we're going to look at pastors. Um, let me ask you, or let me read to you a verse. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 10. As you're turning there, I have a reason. This is one of the more famous scriptures in the church. Um, it's followed by, by a very great promise. But this one here, we, um, we usually attribute this one to Satan. And that's not wrong. But I would like to read it in its context. Chapter 10 of the book of John Starting in verse one says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This, this figure of speech, Jesus says, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So in verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not, did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will, will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, Jesus repeats himself and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. In this discourse, we find from Jesus a great example of what it means to be a pastor. We've looked at apostles, prophets, and evangelists last week. This week, we look at shepherds in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. I don't want to overemphasize one position more than the other. I think that they are all, they are all equally necessary to bring us to maturity in Christ. However, I believe that more is said about the pastor, more good examples are given 
for the pastor than any other position we find uh, in Ephesians chapter four. We have first and second Timothy and the book of Titus, which we call the pastoral epistles. They are Paul mentoring two young men, teaching them how to be pastors. We see King David as a young boy being a, a shepherd boy for his dad, talking about how, ooh, excuse me, talking about how he would protect his sheep by, by laying down his life, by, by attacking bears and lions who would try to steal the sheep from his fold. We have Psalm 23, the great shepherd's psalm. We have um, Abraham who had his flocks. We had Moses who was a shepherd. And we have this position that God gives and bestows upon the church as a gift called the shepherd. And I, I feel as though, based on what I read in the scripture, it's not that it's the most important, but without a healthy pastor, the rest of them kind of don't matter. Here's what I mean by that. An apostle will go out and start. A prophet will come in and declare. An evangelist will share the, 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 the gospel. But without someone constantly caring for the sheep. I mean, being there. It's the reason why in the, the, the graphic up here, there's an anchor. Without that solid foundation of a pastor in one specific place, the flock never grows. The Bible describes us as sheep and Jesus as the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. In his wisdom. God has bestowed some men to become shepherds. He gives them that gift um, and he gives them that responsibility. The purpose of which is to protect the sheep. One of the primary purposes of a pastor is to protect the sheep who are in his flock. You'll find that a lot of my sermons deal not so, not a, they deal with what the Bible says and what Jesus would want us to know through it as well as that which is taught today, which is not biblical. Um, I think in all of my preaching here, the last three years, I've named one man by name, Mr. Creflo Dollar, not a fan. For the most part, if you want to know who I'm for and who, am I, who I think is, is unbiblical or not a good teacher or, or anti-Christ in their teaching, I would tell you, I have no, I don't hide any of those things, but I try to make it not a habit of throwing people under the bus from up here because it just looks like I'm trying to gain favor by bashing them. And that's not what I want to do. And at the end of the day, they're not my enemy. Satan is our enemy. Sin is our enemy. Death is our enemy. And that's who I want to be busy going after. But as much as there are sheep and as much as there are shepherds, there are also wolves. And the problem with the wolves is they come in dressed like sheep. If they came in dressed like wolves, we would see them, point at them, and run away from them. Or, you know, attack them, go after them, drive them away. But they come in dressed like sheep. And this is all a metaphor for people who come in to cause division, to plant seeds of dissension and discord. And really men and women in groups who want to just gain their own attention, their own flock and their own, their own following. They're not looking to get people to follow Jesus. They're looking to get people to follow them. Um, and it, you know, for me at this church, no one gets saved if they follow me. 
I, that doesn't, if they find, if they go to heaven and Pastor Tony was my pastor, but who was your savior? Uh, you gotta have Jesus. John the Baptist said it like this, I must decrease that he, that he Jesus, may increase. For a pastor, you have, for, for myself especially, it's this weird position where I have to be the leader by not self-promoting myself, by not going out in front necessarily for the attention, but by going out and pointing to Jesus. If I can get you following Jesus, we'll all travel together at the same speed uh, in the same direction. And that's what we want. And that's what pastors are doing. That's what pastors are meant to do anyways. Go to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. As you turn there, I will sip my coffee. We're going to answer four questions. What is a pastor? What is the duty versus what is the gift? What are the pastoral epistles? And how is Jesus revealed in the pastor? Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors. The Greek word is poimen and teachers, that's who we'll talk about next week, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The fivefold ministry, as it's referred to um, in, in our modern culture, is given for a purpose. No one called to these positions should see themselves as God's gift, as though, as though without them, God's plan would cease. God has been able to fulfill his plan for thousands of years without us. We get the privilege to do stuff. I want us to never lose sight of the fact that, that while he gives us responsibility, it's a joy, it's a privilege that not everybody has. And for the pastor just like the other four positions, there's a purpose behind the giving of this gift. God wants us to grow and to be mature. So the leaders with the people come together and they grow together and leaders make the people grow and the people grow, which makes the leaders have to step up. And it's this, this thing that just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And I don't mean necessarily numerically, but in maturity. So that hopefully... 10, 20, 30 years down the line, you're not the same person you were when you first gave your life to Jesus. That, that you've, you could look back and say, you know what? I, I thought I had it all together then and I just keep looking and I see throughout time where God has grown me, has, how he has challenged me and that I am in a place today, not that I have attained Christ as Paul would say, but I'm definitely farther along than I was. I am, I am moving forward to, to the knowledge of Jesus. I am attaining, I am getting there, I am growing so that the church can grow and be healthy. So what is a pastor? A pastor is a shepherd. 
in this culture, the biblical culture, the day and age of Jesus, and even older than that, it's one of the oldest professions we know of. Um, what you would have is a man, maybe a couple of men, who would have a flock of sheep. And they would travel with these sheep. They would sleep with these sheep. They would protect with their lives these sheep. Many of them would take and make and surround their folds with things like, like thorns. And, and, and I've seen even in modern day uh, shepherds, they'll take big giant uh, tumbleweeds that are prickly and, and, and not really fun to walk through. And they'll use those to make sort of a, a fence around their, their flock of sheep. And then they themselves will lay down at the gate, at the only entrance to this place. So that should the enemy show up, and it's not an issue of if, but an issue of when. They will be the first ones to respond and their life will be between the enemy and the flock so that the flock can be protected. Sheep historically have been known for their lack of self-defense. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws. They're not incredibly quick. Um, they're kind of slow. They need guidance consistently. Um, and that's why they need a shepherd. Now, does that mean the Bible calls us sheep like that? Yeah, it does. And if you look at people, that's, they're just like sheep. Um, we could take offense to it, but we also have to say, you know what, Lord, that's very astute. You definitely know your people. We very much get into positions where we no longer have any way to protect ourselves, defend ourselves, and to get ourselves out of anything. And all we have left to do is to cry out to the Lord, just like a sheep. Jesus is our chief shepherd. He has given us these, these other shepherds. Jesus said in um, John chapter 10 that there's, there's a difference between a hired hand and the one who owns the sheep. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, you belong to him. He, he owns you in that verbiage that he's using there. A hired hand, though, is different. A hired hand, when danger, danger comes, what's a hired hand do? They run away. Why? Why would they lose their life for a paycheck? Many of you, if the job asks you to do something that would risk your life, you would bail because money can only go so far. But for your children, you would lay down your life in an instant. For your family, for some of your closest friends and people you've grown up with, you would gladly lay down yourself because they belong to you. Jobs come and go, but people, they're, they're, they're the ones that matter. Jesus said the sheep to him are like that. They're the ones that he lays down his life for. As a pastor, I use Jesus as my model. There are lots of successful pastors out there today. They have churches in the tens of thousands. They, they, they have, their entire cities are turned upside down for Jesus. Praise God for that. My example is Jesus. I would probably glean some of their efforts and say, well, if that worked, maybe that would be something we could do or not do, whatever. But ultimately, my, my example is Jesus and what he has done. A, a, a shepherd, for me, aside from John 10, one of the best examples of what a shepherd is or what a shepherd should be is found in Psalm 23. So turn to Psalm 23. 
Psalm 23 is one of the, along with maybe the Lord's Prayer, probably two of the most well-known uh, chunks of scripture in all of the Bible, uh, whereas some verses are really well-known. Um, the entire chapter 23 is, um, is pretty well-known. Some, some folks who are not Christians and never have been Christians can quote it word for word. Psalm 23, verse 1 says this, a Psalm of David. So we know right away that who wrote this? David wrote this, King David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David being a shepherd, whatever day, moment, time this was where he was contemplative, he was sitting, he was, he was reflecting upon the Lord, he saw the similarity between what God had done in his life and what he had done for the life of his sheep. As he looked upon his sheep or remembered his sheep and his flock, he thought to himself, the Lord is my shepherd. Whereas the sheep, I was their shepherd, he is my shepherd. In the same way that I led my sheep to the good waters to drink, the still waters to drink, the calm waters to drink. When I, when I led them to the green grass, not the dry parched land, but the green lush grass where they could eat and, and receive what they need to continue to live and function and grow and mature. That's what God is doing for me. God is shepherding me. He's not just, he's not just my father. He's not just my God, but he's also my shepherd, my leader. Verse two says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We don't know what's happening in the world, or, we, or I rather, we don't know why things are happening in the world. Here's what we know. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Whatever the Lord is doing in your life, he's doing it as much for you as he is doing it for himself, to reveal himself to you and to others. My wife and I have had many opportunities to share the gospel with folks who either maybe just didn't know about Jesus or knew of him, but, but really saw it as a superficial thing or just something they did on Sundays. We've been able to share the gospel with them as the result of what Ethan is going through. I would wish there would be another way, but I'm finding that God uses things like this in a way that only he can. In, in the way that Joseph's brothers in, in, Gen in the book of Genesis wish to kill him, I, like Joseph, can stand back and say, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. Where I would see the enemy, where I would see Satan doing something atrocious and bad and attacking I see that God is doing something good. He is pulling good out of that that only he can.
and he's doing it for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. For David seeing himself as that little sheep, he would follow his shepherd, knowing that the shepherd was there. We travel, we walk, we, we live every day of this life knowing that our shepherd is there. As a shepherd myself, I, I'm not always there in the way that Jesus is. I'm here on Sundays, of course, here on Wednesdays. I'm there when you call me, when you ask me for counseling or questions or when something happens, when someone falls ill, when someone uh, passes away, when somebody is born, when someone gives their life or just needs a Bible or, or just needs overall guidance. I am there in as much as I can, but I am limited in a way that Jesus is not. As I mentioned before, we are sheep, Jesus is our shepherd, and unfortunately there are wolves. Shepherds love their people enough to fight against the wolves. Here's what a bad pastor does. A bad pastor lets the wolf come in and hang out with the sheep. Wolves can become sheep. Some of the best sheep used to be wolves. Look at somebody like Paul. However, to protect them, the pastor has to put his life between the flock and the wolf. If that means for me in this place, pointing out bad doctrine, bad theology, bad ministers or preachers of the gospel, then I will do so. So that you can know where someone might be leading you not to still waters, not to green grass, that, that someone who will abandon you because they're basically a wolf or like a hired hand, as Jesus said in John 10. All of us, now, now many of you might look at myself or people in positions like me and say, okay, well, you're the pastor, this is all for you. Here's where uh, this gifting and calling uh, uh, versus the duty kind of is different than the previous three positions we mentioned. Everybody pastors somebody. You might say, Tony, I'm not called to be a pastor, but you pastor somebody. You guys pastor your children. You do. You do. You do. Friends, family, coworkers, you are pastoring them, whether it's, whether it's just little things here and there, or whether you are a parent over somebody's life, you have shepherded them. You have pastored them. When you read through the pastoral epistles, and we'll go through those in just a minute, um, Paul gives these qualifications for an elder or a deacon or, a, or a, a pastor, if you will. These are the same qualifications that a man needs just to be a man. We are, gonna, we are going to pastor a lot of people in our lives. It's, it's a great privilege, but it's even gra a greater responsibility. And I want us to never lose sight of that ability that God has given us. You might say, I'm not called to be a pastor of a congregation. If you're a dad or a husband, um, you've been given a flock. It's called your wife or your children. Um, if you are more advanced and experienced in years, but that as delicately as I can, there's no expiration date for you. It's not as though Oh, I got to a certain age and now I retired from ministering. No, you, you still minister. You still speak to, you still pastor, in a sense, different people. You may have a, a different role or you might have a different uh, way that you speak into people's lives, but it's still there. 
So who do you lead? Ask yourself that question as you leave tonight. Who do you pastor? Who comes to you, or whether they do so by saying, hey, I have a question for you, or who do you seemingly always have around you that you're helping guide? And they always let you do that. Some folks, you give them advice or you, you try to pastor them and they're just like, who are you? I'm like, all right, I'm just trying to help you. Other folks just keep coming back. Well, they've learned to trust you in that way. They've learned that you, that you have led them beside still waters. You've, you've caused them to lie down in green pastures. You, you are loving them in a sense. First and second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. Um, they're not simply just for pastors. What you see is Paul's heart laid out for these young men. Uh, these men were probably in their 40s, so they're not young, young men, but, um, but they were younger than Paul, and Paul took them under his wing. This is why I think the office of pastor is a little different than the other ones. Not better, not worse, not less, not more, but different. It's the one, it's the one office that seemingly reproduces itself. It seems as though with prophets, evangelists, and apostles, there's a calling upon the Lord, upon a person, and then they go and do that. Not a lot of scriptures on how to do them. Not a lot of scriptures of men who have helped other ones or mentored other ones become that. But we do find that in pastoring. This is why I think that having a healthy pastor might be the most important of these five positions. Um, and I believe that the Lord believes so too. That's the reason why so much time is dedicated to uh, rearing up good pastors. Um, like the rudder on a ship, the rudder might be small, but it controls the whole ship. For me, even with the handful of people here tonight, if I steer you wrong, I'm one person that affects many and will cause many to go astray if I'm, if I'm wrong. If I, am, if I am preaching for myself or preaching my good news as opposed to Jesus's. So as you read the, the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus, see how, how Paul is mentoring these men, teaching them how to, be, um, how to be pastors, how to be shepherds by pointing back to Jesus and what he has done. So how, how is Jesus revealed in the pastor? Hebrews 13 and 20 says that Jesus calls Jesus the great shepherd. Jesus himself in John 10 twice called himself the good shepherd. For many of you, that is probably one of the most comforting scriptures that you can recollect. It's short, sweet, to the point. I am the good shepherd. What's that mean? That means that Satan's a bad shepherd. Satan's not the polar opposite of Jesus, but he tries to lead people away too. He tries to shepherd people too. He's just awful because his purpose is for himself. His reasoning is all pride and wanting to be like the most high. Jesus is shepherding you to himself, to God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Matthew nine and 35 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In those verses, you see Apostle is going out. Prophet, proclaiming. Evangelist, the gospel. 
You even see healing of every disease and affliction. But then in verse 36, you see the heart of a pastor. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Going out, starting, proclaiming, healing. And Jesus looks out and sees people who don't have a shepherd and he's moved to compassion. I went to a a service once and it was not biblical meaning the focus was not Jesus. If there's going to be a sermon, it's got to be about Jesus. If there's going to be church, it's got to be about Jesus. If we're going to sing songs, they've got to be songs about Jesus. Otherwise, we might as well just play My Sharona or something. It's got to be about Jesus. The sermon, the songs, the church, the people, everything's about Jesus. Went to a service, not about Jesus. And I remember looking at the people and thinking and seeing them and seeing the hunger in their eyes. They wanted Jesus and someone was giving them garbage instead. Someone was, was instead of feeding the need that they had, was just giving them garbage and expecting them to eat that. The bad news with sheep is that they'll eat whatever you give them. A bad shepherd gives bad food, the sheep still eat it. I praise God that Jesus was moved by compassion. That, going back to John 10, for those who are seeking after the shepherd, who know the shepherd, they know his voice. I won't lie to you. There are times where I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do, only to find out later, nope, that was not what God wanted me to do. Not sin issues, just went left instead of right. What that has done is that has honed my ability to know when I'm hearing the Lord's voice and I am hearing my own conscience, hearing my own uh, adrenaline rush, you know, feeling my own excitement of what's happening around or what's going on or maybe what I would like to do. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That comes from spending time with a shepherd. in that culture where Jesus is, is referring to all this, where he's speaking to people who, who work every day with shepherds. You no, know, maybe we don't in that sense, but each shepherd would have his flock and when he called out to them, they would come to him. If somebody else said, hey, sheep, come on, they wouldn't recognize his voice and they'd just look at him or they'd run away. Oh, all right. If Jesus' voice is not distinguished in, in you, in that, in that place where only, only he can get to, I do, I believe with all of my heart, it's because we have not spent enough time hearing his voice here first. M- most of the people I know who have been led astray, including myself, have been people who didn't hear God's voice here first. And so something gets spoken, something gets said, something gets prophesied, put that in quotations, and they just run with it, never going back to the word to find out whether or not that was God's voice to begin with. And so to conclude, and then we'll get to your story, mom. Jesus was not filled with pity. Some, some folks want pity and, and 
I don't think anybody here wants pity. Jesus was not moved to, get, to have pity for these people. Oh, they don't have a shepherd, these poor sheep. He was filled with compassion, it says. He was filled with empathy. He, he was feeling what they were feeling. He was as much as he could experiencing what they were experiencing. And moved to compassion, he looked to, the, he looked to the apostles, the ones who would become the first pastors, who would raise up the first pastors. Say, hey, pray for laborers. For as many pastors as there will be, there will always be more people than shepherds. And so pray for the, the, the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Jesus is the great shepherd who has led us to the living waters that is, that is himself. He, he's not leading us to someone else. He's leading us to himself. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd leads the people back to Jesus. To take anything away tonight, that's what a shepherd can do. If you see a shepherd who is leading sheep away from Jesus, bad shepherd, dangerous shepherd, possibly a wolf. But leading back to Jesus, good sheep.